Welcome back to the Religions of the Ancient Mediterranean podcast. I'm Phil Harland, a prof at York University. They're in the series, The Historical Jesus in Context. In this episode, we begin to introduce what you could call Jesus' teacher or Jesus' mentor, John the Baptist. Any historian studying the historical Jesus has to grapple with John the Baptist and the issues of who John the Baptist was and what relationship there was between John the Baptist and Jesus. In part, this is because there's an important factor regarding the teachings. There's an important debate that takes place among scholars regarding the apocalyptic elements in John the Baptist's message and whether or not Jesus' message also was apocalyptic. This episode, therefore, provides a context in which we can move from Jesus the student, you could say, to Jesus the teacher in the following episode. In delving into John the Baptist, we want to understand him in his own terms, John the Baptist on his own. He's not only important in regard to Jesus. But we also have to turn to the question of the baptism scenario that we have in the Gospels. We'll soon see that the embarrassment shown by the sources that report this baptism to us indicate that this is a likely event, a highly likely event in the life of Jesus. And that therefore we have to consider what implications does the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist have for evaluating the historical Jesus. We finish off the episode with discussing the death of John the Baptist. In a way, the death of John the Baptist was caused by what you could call a bit of a soap opera. The key passage in Josephus that is the focus of the discussion here is in Josephus's Jewish Antiquities or Judean Antiquities book 18 chapter 5 which deals with John the Baptist on his own with with no uh, mention of Jesus at all. There are two recent works that have informed my studies of John the Baptist and that play a role in what I talk about here. One is by Robert Webb, John the Baptizer and Prophet, a social historical study. The other book is by Joan Taylor titled The Immerser, John the Baptist within Second Temple Judaism. Although these books disagree with one another on various points, they are both very solid studies that provide important context for understanding John the Baptizer on his own within Judean culture in the time, and also the question of what is the significance of John the Baptist for studying the historical Jesus. So I hope you enjoy this episode and come back again. consider Jesus as a teacher, it's important to say something about his mentor, his teacher. Why not find out about Jesus the student before we figure out Jesus the teacher? The thing about Jesus' education that is problematic for us as historians is we know nothing about it. We have no solid evidence of in what way Jesus was educated. We just don't have a way of really saying much firmly about who taught Jesus. There are some traditions that are represented in the Gospels that portray Jesus as being able to read, but there are very few. 
The likelihood is he is literate, but we don't have a way of historically establishing that. But on the other hand, what if it was that he only knows the Torah through oral means, through having heard it, read by others? One thing we do know about his education, and I'm using the word education loosely here, is his mentor, John the Baptist. This is one of the very few things we know about who taught Jesus. What's clear from our evidence is that Jesus felt that John the Baptist was someone to follow and that what John the Baptist was teaching was valid, at least at the point at which Jesus was baptized. So let's take a look at John the Baptizer a little bit because it may give us insight since it's our only inkling as to an education of Jesus. Since it's our only predecessor to understand what Jesus may have thought, it's a good place to start looking at Jesus the teacher by looking at Jesus the student. The sources we have for the connection between John the Baptist and Jesus, we have been reading extensively in the tutorials. Those sources are a small passage in Josephus and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as some other Gospel materials that didn't end up in the New Testament, like the Gospel of the Hebrews and the Gospel of the Nazareans, that also have stories about Jesus interacting with John the Baptist and stories of a baptism. The difficulty here is that Josephus, when he talks about John the Baptist, says nothing about Jesus. So there's no way of using Josephus as a way of confirming the Gospel's picture. But thankfully, we have their embarrassment. Remember that whole issue? It's the embarrassment in the Gospels that makes that material usable by a historian and makes that material something that we can say something with a high level of probability about it. When we come to Josephus, he simply talks about John the Baptist being a good teacher and being a popular figure who ultimately was executed by Herod Antipas. During one of Herod Antipas's wars, Herod Antipas is the ruler of Galilee and Perea. Remember that Herod Antipas came into some problems with the king Aretas of Nabatea and had a war with him. One of the battles was lost, and what does Josephus say? What does he interpret it to mean? He said, Herod Antipas lost the battle with King Aretas of Nabatea because Herod Antipas had killed John the Baptist. He was getting what was coming to him, Herod Antipas. That's the gist of what Josephus gives us. It tells us something about the death of John the Baptist, but not much about his life and what he taught. The only source we have for the content of what John the Baptist taught, or what he was about, are the Gospels. We have only Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who we know Matthew and Luke are dependent on Mark for some things and dependent on Q for some things in the theory that we're following, the two-source theory of the relationship among the Gospels. The only hint that we have that he may be from a priestly family is the story of the childhood of John the Baptist that Luke has. Generally speaking, there's several things in the Gospels about John the Baptist that point in a direction that tell us something about him. First of all, he's active in the desert. The desert is not a, a useless place to go in Israelite history or within the Judean conception of things. The desert is a place where God does things in the conception of first century Judeans. And it's likely that John the Baptist thinks of things that way. He goes out into the desert, not necessarily so much to get away, which might be part of it, but also because God will make things happen in the desert. There's a quotation that's used in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They quote from Isaiah about preparing a path in the desert, that God will do things there. That's part of the reason they go out into the desert. 
is to prepare for God's final intervention, the Dead Sea sect. So John may have affinities with that sort of notion and connecting it to his apocalyptic worldview that seems to be likely as well in connection with John the Baptist here. The Gospels also portray John the Baptist as an ascetic. In fact, one of the preserved traditions about what outsiders view Jesus as, as Jesus is a glutton and a drunkard, and John the Baptist is an ascetic. John's followers fast, Jesus' followers party. We have this fitting with this ascetic lifestyle. He eats grasshoppers and honey. That's a fairly simple lifestyle. And his clothing is very simple. And what does he do out in the desert? Well, he's proclaiming a particular message according to the Gospels. In Q, it's put this way. So Matthew and Luke share in common this saying attributed to John the Baptist. We have no one else to confirm it or disconfirm it. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit that befits repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Harsh language, very apocalyptic language. In this particular saying, talk of a wrath to come. Definitely sign of an apocalyptic Judean. The idea of the need for repent because the moment is now, the imminence. The idea that the axe is laid at the base of the tree, the imminence of God's intervention. So this is the sort of evidence we have, but we have no way of confirming from other sources, did John actually teach that? So we're dealing with a likelihood here. And the question is, do the Gospels make this up, or is this likely something John the Baptist actually taught? I'll tell you something, even scholars who argue that Jesus is not apocalyptic agree that John the Baptist was apocalyptic. So this is one of the things that most scholars do agree is a likelihood that John the Baptist was an apocalyptic prophet in the perception of his contemporaries, and that his message was centered on God's imminent intervention to do something, and the need for people to do something themselves to prepare for it, to prepare for the final intervention of God. How to prepare for the final intervention of God? Well, that's what the rest of the evidence about John the Baptist hints at, or explicitly says. Namely, the need to repent. And the idea that this act of ritually being immersed, something that's borrowed, you could say, from purity concerns within Judean culture, comes to play a role as a symbol of that repentance, preparing for the final intervention of God, being on the right side when the wrath comes. We've already seen another penitential movement within Judean culture a century or so earlier, the Dead Sea sect. We as Israel have sinned. We need to repent and live the right way, is what the Dead Sea sect teachers of righteousness said. What does that involve? Well, we even have to evacuate society to live in a proper way, to get away from the other Judeans who are not living a proper life and are living what this, these authors would think a sinful life, a life that's not in accordance with the covenant with God. Well, we have some affinities between John the Baptist here and the Dead Sea sect, don't we? They're loose affinities, though. They're not, we're not saying John the Baptist was an Essene or that he was a Dead Sea sect member. We're just saying that we have two penitential movements here, two movements focused on repentance and changing your ways in preparation for the imminent end. So it starts to show you how looking at different contemporaries can help you understand each, each of them. John the Baptist is better understood by looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls 
and the Dead Sea Scrolls are better understood by looking at John the Baptist, not that there's a direct relation between them at all. Similar range of possibilities in what a popular leader or an educated person in first century Judea might think or do. Possibilities. So this message that John the Baptist has is imminent apocalyptic intervention of God and preparing for it and repenting of sin in preparation for it, indicating a suggestion of living a life differently in accordance with John the Baptist's message. So what's significant about John the Baptist, so far we've just been outlining what John the Baptist on his own is about. So far he has nothing to do with Jesus, really. His movement has nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus hears about John the Baptist in the Gospel narratives, comes to be baptized by John the Baptist. Evidently, thinking John the Baptist on the right track, you could say. It was possible for us to say, well, these sources are, we have no way of confirming them or disconfirming them. We have no other evidence that Jesus encountered John the Baptist, therefore we can't say much about it historically. That might have been the case. However, every single source that reports that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist is embarrassed by it. Or rather, let me rephrase it. Every single source that talks about the encounter between Jesus and John the Baptist is embarrassed about the baptism, some to the point of not even saying that he was baptized. So this is that criteria of embarrassment. When a historical source reports something, but then scrambles in their reporting to try and say, well, it did happen, but all this other stuff. The scrambling to deal with the fact that Jesus was a protege of John the Baptist, that Jesus was a student. The fact that this is reported, even though it implies John the Baptist, the superior teacher or the mentor, and Jesus, the inferior student who needs to learn from the guy who knows what he's talking about, John the Baptist, is what causes embarrassment for all of the sources that report that Jesus was baptized. This is how scholars speak about this. So, for example, in our theory, Mark's Gospel is first, time-wise. In Mark's Gospel, you have this as the narrative of Jesus' baptism. Mark's Gospel, first quotes from a combination of some of the Hebrew Bible here and calls it from Isaiah. As it is written, Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So far, just describing what the author thinks John the Baptist was about. And there went out to him all the country of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and had a leather girdle around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. Okay, so in Mark's narrative, you simply have a description of what he thinks John the Baptist is about, that it's about repentance of sin, that people are following, he's got a following. Then he claims that, G that John the Baptist preaches this, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the thong of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. No explicit reference to Jesus there, 
However, the way Mark's interpreting that supposed saying of John the Baptist is that it does refer to Jesus. That's the extent of the dealing with the embarrassment in Mark. Not a whole lot. Just saying that someone's supposed to come after him that's mightier than him and saying that John said that. And that when Jesus was baptized, some miraculous thing happened that Jesus saw. Matthew and Luke use Mark. When you look at what they do, you start to see how they add even more elements of the issue of how John the Baptist is not superior to Jesus. Matthew has this that no one else has. When Jesus comes to be baptized in Matthew's gospel, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So Matthew has an interaction between Jesus and John the Baptist, where John the Baptist says, Hey, whoa, I can't baptize you. You're superior to me. And Jesus said, No, no, it's all right. I know I'm superior, but this is what we got to do. Then Luke. Luke does a subtle thing. Luke doesn't even refer to John the Baptist actually baptizing Jesus. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended, etc. I'm taking the rest from Mark. But it changes Mark's statement that Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. John's Gospel has the thing about the dove. One of the rare cases where John's Gospel has something in common with the synoptics. And then it has... John talking about a spirit descending like a dove. So in this gospel, it's John the Baptist talking about a spirit descending like a dove on Jesus. But what does it omit? It doesn't have the baptism at all. This is the type of evidence that scholars talk about as signs of embarrassment and signs of the fact that this is, historically speaking, one of the most reliable things we can know about Jesus. Namely, that he was baptized by John the Baptist. All of the sources that report it are embarrassed by it. Nonetheless, they report it. Another way of putting this is, it's highly unlikely that Mark, Matthew, or Luke, or any of the Gospels made up Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. So let's say, talk about what happens to this other contemporary of Jesus. This other contemporary, in this case, who could be perceived as an apocalyptic prophet by others. How does this apocalyptic prophet come to his end? Well, we have reference to the death of John the Baptist, both in the Gospels and in Josephus. The initial impression you may get from reading the death of John the Baptist in the Gospels and Josephus is that they're not compatible. In other words, that these are two entirely different stories about how John died. But what's interesting is when you start to read Josephus in detail and the Gospels in detail, there are striking overlaps in the reasons why John the Baptist was killed. Not in the details of how he was killed. In other words, uh, the Gospels have a story of Herod Antipas having a banquet, and his wife is there, and his wife's daughter is dancing, and Herod Antipas says to his stepdaughter, whatever you want, whatever your mother wants, or whatever you want, I'll give to you, and then it ends up they ask for the head of John the Baptist. And Herod Antipas in the Gospels is hesitant about killing John the Baptist. He says, well, he's a good guy and people think he's a prophet. I'm not so sure about this killing him, but since you asked and since I promised, okay, we'll kill him. Head on a platter. I'm quickly telling you the stories. Lots more there. The details in Josephus are, there are hardly any. It's just that Herod Antipas was worried about John the Baptist following and worried about John the Baptist being popular felt there was some threat to his rule, and killed him. So those are the two accounts. 
What's interesting about the overlap isn't in the details of how John the Baptist died. It's in the reasons why John the Baptist might be killed by Antipas. The connection between Josephus and the Gospels is this. Josephus talks about John the Baptist, remember, in connection with Antipas's wars. Josephus is narrating political history, you could say, and narrating Antipas's reign, and talking about Antipas, Herod Antipas rules Galilee and Perea, up there north in Galilee and down to near where John the Baptist hung out, uh, down near the bottom of the jo- where the Jordan joins the Dead Sea, but on the other side of the Jordan, Perea, those two districts is what Herod Antipas is ruling, and that's what Josephus is talking about, just Herod Antipas' rule. And he deals with the fact that Herod Antipas had some difficulties with the king of Nabatea. And Nabatea is further south and east of Perea, on the other side of the Dead Sea. So Josephus is relating the political history of the fact that there were troubles between these two rulers, and they led to war. Something that is mentioned in passing in Josephus is something that's developed more fully in the Gospels. It's to do with Herod Antipas's wife, or better put, wives. Herod Antipas had previously been married to the daughter of the king of Nabatea. Herod Antipas had previously been married to the daughter of the guy he's now going to war with. Well, what might, might, I mean, could have been all kinds of economic issues, political issues that could cause that war, yes. However, there may have been a bit of a personal issue involved to some degree. Because the Gospels give us further picture of what happened. Namely, Herod Antipas got rid of his wife that was the daughter of the king of Nabatea. And who's the next wife? His brother's wife. Herod Philip had a wife. Herod Philip's another son of Herod. Herod the, Great, uh, Herod the Great has many sons. Herod Antipas is one of them. Herod Philip is another, and they rule over the different districts. Herod Philip was married to someone, and it turns out that Herod Antipas married Herod Philip's wife. Who was he getting rid of in order to marry Herod Antipas's wife? The daughter of the king of Nabatea. John the Baptist in the Gospels is portrayed as criticizing Herod Antipas for marrying his brother's wife. Now, that wouldn't be so bad if Herod Philip was dead. However, he wasn't. So the Gospels emphasize that John the Baptist was vocal about criticizing Herod Antipas because of this marriage situation. This links up quite nicely to what Josephus is talking about, namely that there's a war going on between Nabatea and Herod Antipas, partly because of these bad relations and this bad political marriage that didn't work out. So both Josephus and the Gospels may be pointing towards one of the elements in why John the Baptist was killed, why Herod Antipas would think of him as a troublemaker. If John the Baptist is speaking out against Herod Antipas's action of having married the ex-wife of Herod Philip, And if one of the key contentions that seems to be behind the war between Antipas and his enemy, Aretas and Nabatea, and that 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 situation was partly fueled by the fact that Antipas divorced the daughter of Aretas in order to marry Herodias, then we have a political situation where 
it makes sense that Herod Antipas might feel this is a dangerous situation and that John the Baptist needs to be put out of commission. Herod Antipas could see John the Baptist's statements against him in regard to his marriage as political statements in support of his political enemy, the Nabataeans, headed by King Aretas. And this adds a further element to the possibilities and some of the likely elements of what caused the death of John the Baptist. In other words, the soap opera around Herod Antipas's marriages is partly to blame for the death of John the Baptist. Add to that the fact that Roman rulers, and in this case a client ruler for the Romans, are quite quick to get rid of popular movements if they're a bit worried about them, and you've got the death of John the Baptist. That concludes this episode. I hope you'll come again. In the meantime, you can browse my website at philipharlan.com. I like early Christianity. The opening music of this series in the podcast is Paradise Lost by Namgyal Lamo, a Tibetan artist. You can find her on the web and you can buy her CDs at Amazon.